0: So today we're going to begin a brand new series. It's kind of uh, a two-week sermon in a sense. It's a two-parter, uh, but we're calling it Sharing Yourself. And when it comes to sharing, i got to tell you, my kids are not at all great with sharing with each other. They can share with other people. Um, they'll share with strangers. Uh, they'll share with me on occasion, candy, food. Yeah, Dad, you want to... Kit Kat? Well, yes, I do, son. The answer's always yes. You should know that by now. Um, they'll they'll share with just about anybody, and they definitely expect people to share with them, but when you put them just together, it's like they think our house operates on some sort of every man for himself, okay, mine all mine, survival of the fittest kind of, you know, rule mentality, and that's not how we try to live our house, you know. We try to live um, in our house with, like, the same rules that we would hope you know, that Christ showed us, you know, Christ shared, or God shared Christ his son with us. We want to be sharing. God loved us. We want to love other people. We want to always be generous. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we try to teach. And as much as we try to teach it, though, that sibling rivalry, that bitterness that somebody else came into the family and ruined your fun, whatever that thing is that exists between brothers and brothers and sisters and sisters and brothers and sisters, whatever that is, it is stronger than anything we've been able to teach them so far. And so they are, Not the greatest at it. Now, the rest of us in the room, we are civilized adults, right? We have been taught. We have been maybe occasionally punished. It has been driven into our heads over and over again as we age that we are people who share. Okay, let me say, maybe not all of us, most of us, because I do think there is a small percentage of people. Hopefully, it's a small percentage of people, and I'll just go ahead and admit that I'm one of them, okay? So I'm in this group, okay? A small percentage of people who are okay at sharing as long as people are watching. And I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. Because we're all friends here, I can confess, right? And we can, you'll forgive me and we'll all be good after this and we'll, you'll love me like Jesus. Um, but every so often, there's a, there's a funeral home in Springfield. And every year, they give out boxes of chocolates. I think it's Peas's chocolates to ministers who have done a funeral with them in the last year. So on the years that I have officiated a funeral with this uh, funeral home, someone will come in and they will personally say, thank you for, you know, working with us this past year. We really appreciate it. Here's a box of chocolates. The first thing I do is hide that box of chocolates. (laughs) I don't tell my wife. I don't tell my kids. I don't tell Ben and Becky. Now, if you walked into my room when I had the chocolates out of my desk, I would absolutely offer you one. But if there's a chance that I can eat that entire box and no one will even know that it would have existed, I will do it every (laughs) single time. And the reason b- for that, and you you might have something like this, you know, where you maybe you don't want to share, maybe it's time, maybe it's money, it's something, you know, you see somebody who's hurting, and you're like, I could help them, but no one's going to know if I don't, you know, think kind of, there's something in us that, as humans that kind of makes us look at the world, look at the resources and the opportunities that exist out there, and we kind of just kind of think, what's in it for me? That's a... Nasty little natural human disposition to look at the world and selfishly think what's in it for me. I mean, even the fact that I would share a chocolate with you if you caught me with my box of chocolates is selfish because I'm not hunting you down to say, you would love this chocolate, you have to try it. I'm only sharing it to save my reputation so that you wouldn't think I was a miserly Scrooge in my office, like, you know, snorting down all the chocolates. I, would o- I mean, I'm only going to do it if, if you catch me. Um, Please don't catch me because they're usually pretty good. Um, but, but this is kind of a thing that exists in us. And the tricky part is, a lot of times, no one would know if we don't. No one's going to be the wiser if you don't share certain things, your time, your energy, whatever. There's a lot of times where, where sharing is entirely voluntary. It's entirely up to you. And if you don't do it, no one's going to think bad of you. No one's going to talk to other people about how, how selfish you are. But most of us, hopefully we know, again because we're decent human beings, hopefully, we know that that's not the way we're supposed to live our lives. We know that we're supposed to share and be kind. I mean, that's just a a general idea that exists in our country, in a society that's supposed to be a a virtue that we all uh, can agree on. But even more so, if you're a Christian, you should at least acknowledge that as somebody who's been called to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, that was the opposite of the way Jesus lived his life. Jesus didn't come to be selfish, but he came to be selfless and teach us to be selfless. And so we have to understand that that's not the way that we are supposed to live our lives. We're supposed to be people who are open and willing to share so much of our lives with the people that are around us. And from this point, I could go into a lot of different topics. I could talk to you about sharing money, sharing time. You know, I could, you could go into the whole wide array. You need to serve more. You could go into all kinds of things. But I want to talk about something very specific. And, and I'm just going to warn you. At first, you're going to think, this doesn't apply to me. Okay. Today, I want to talk to you about what it means to be a minister. And you might think, okay, great. Anthony, you're preaching a sermon to you and one other person in the building. Congratulations for making this something we can all agree on. Well, I want to show you why this is very important that we all... Can understand what it means to be a minister because I bet most of you when you think of the word minister and you have a picture in your mind of what that means, I think most of us are wrong. So what we're going to do, we're going to go to a passage that I think gives the clearest, most powerful example of what it means to be a minister. And we're going to be in this passage this week and next week. It's 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Today we're only going to read one verse, verse 8, and then next week we're going to come back and start at the beginning of the chapter and kind of flesh some of this stuff out. Um, but this chunk of scripture is written by a guy named Paul. He was an apostle of Jesus. An apostle was somebody who had a, an encounter with the resurrected Jesus, and Jesus charged them with specific work to do to help get the church started, the, like, like from scratch. There weren't like other churches, and they're going around and planting new churches. These are guys who were starting the church from nothing. Um, So we have them to thank. And Paul, his job was to preach the gospel to non-Jewish people all over the first century Roman world. And so Paul went from town to town, from city to city, telling people about Jesus, often for the first time, opening the Old Testament to a lot of people and saying, these scriptures that have been around for a long time, these are talking about Jesus who just lived his life, taught all these things, was killed and rose from the dead for your salvation. So he went all over the world teaching those things and planting churches and training up Christians. And then after Paul moved on from a city, after he planted a church there, what would happen was he would often write letters back to that church just to kind of give additional teaching. Sometimes they would write him a letter and ask him questions. Okay, Paul, we didn't talk about this when you were here. What about this, 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 and this? Some of his letters, you can kind of just tell by reading them that he's answering a list of questions. Um, Or sometimes, as is the case with Uh, 1 Thessalonians, some problems have sprouted up in the church because problems apparently naturally sprout up in the church. That's not a new thing. That is something that's been going on for 2,000 years. And Paul would write back to say, okay, here's what you do in light of these problems. And the problem that has sprouted up in in the, the city of Thessalonica, in that church, was there were people we are going around and saying, Paul's just like all those other, you know, fly-by-night teachers and wise men and sages that walk through town and they teach all these nice things and fluffy sayings, and everyone claps for him and says, Wow, this guy's so great. Can you, you gotta come hear him? And they get some money, and then they leave town. They're in it for the praise, the glory, and ultimately the money. And then they and Paul's just one of those other guys. He's just one of these other many fly-by-night teachers teaching another who knows what teaching. And Paul's trying to differentiate himself in this passage. From somebody who just comes to say something, get some money, and be on his way. Somebody who's just doing a chore, doing a task, doing a job, and what a minister really should be. And as Paul talks about this in the, the, the first part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he gets to verse 8, which I think is just one of the main pillars of what it should mean to be a minister. 1 Thessalonians 2, 8. Paul says, So being affectionately desirous of you, meaning we cared We cared about you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Now, this is like the most loving, flowery, fluffy language that Paul says in any of his letters. Like this is as as close to Paul gets to like a love letter. And he's saying, Because we cared, we came not just to share the gospel. Not just to give a sermon, not just to teach a class, not just to provide you with information, not just to stand on a stage and shout at you, not just to give you some um, um, impersonal doctrinal code, not to give you another list of religious rules to follow, but we came also to know you, to invest in you, to love you, to build a relationship with you. It wasn't just a job to do, we came to do all these things because we actually cared Because we actually wanted to make a difference in your life. And as a minister, when he says we came to share our own selves, that's incredibly grounding to me. It helps me focus on what I need to focus on. Because if I'm honest about how my brain works, I I am much more of a task-focused person than a people-focused person. Okay, How many of you, your brain naturally works in to-do lists? Yeah, that's me. Okay, And it's not that I don't care about people. I just love checking things off a to-do list. Like, it brings peace and joy to my soul, and I mean, I, every, I got one of these in my pocket, and every day, you can see my little check boxes. Some days they're checked off, and that's the saddest day, but when they're all checked off, oh yeah, like that one, that's a good day right there. Um, like, and so I've got, a t- I've always got a to-do list, and my brain naturally works in to-do lists, but that says, Anthony, you can't just come to do a job. You can't just get, it's not just a task of things to do. It's not just focusing on the check boxes and moving things off the list and going home at the end of the day so that you can leave work at work. That's not the kind of thing ministry is. It's knowing people, investing in their lives, and opening yourself up to be known by them. You see, like, again, every week the first thing on my to-do list is sermon. Sermon. And verses for the screens. That's the first thing on my to-do list, and usually it's the biggest thing I got to do every week. And so, you know, every Sunday I'm like, oh, good, the sermon's over. Oh, I got to do it again. You know, I can start over. Okay, you know. And so the panic kicks in quick for me, like Monday or Tuesday, and I got to write a sermon. And so it's very easy for me to ignore everybody, all the people, in order to get that task done. And my attention is always on these little check boxes, and so. Um, I forget though that in the midst of the day today, that's that's ministry is more than that. It's about people, and again, opening yourself up to to know them, um, getting getting involved in the lives of the congregation. It's saying that you know, hey, these he's telling these people, hey, you're not just another stop along the way. We came and because we, we cared about you, we came to invest in you, and that's kind of what ministry is supposed to be. It's meant to be this personal, life-giving relationship thing that is not just about preaching a message, not just about giving rules. Here, do these things, don't do these things. It's not just about telling a room full of people, you're a bunch of sinners, but if you did things this way, you wouldn't be sinners anymore. It's so much more than that. It's about caring and helping and investing in their outcome. So I can't look. I can't look at the church just as a to-do list. I can't look at my week just as a to-do list. Ministry is not about accomplishments. It's not about transactions. It's not about doing a job and moving on. It's about knowing people. It's about being known by people. It's about caring in the direction those lives are going. It's about opening yourself up to the good and the bad, okay? Sometimes in just relationships in general, but any relationship, ministry included, you're opening yourself up to interruptions. You're opening yourself up to betrayal and getting hurt because that's just the way that it is, and it's tempting for any relationship that you might be involved in to just, I can cut myself off from that so that I don't have to get hurt. I don't have to know. I don't have to be aware. I don't have to be vulnerable, but that's not what... Paul says we're called to do he says I came here as a minister of the gospel of Jesus not just to do a list of things I love that he says not just to preach the gospel because that's the whole thing he was there to do like that was his job take the gospel to the whole Roman world and he says but it's not just that thing where I come and speak and and forget about the connection that's supposed to take place he's supposed to invest in these people for the gospel and so with all these accusations Paul has made against him, um, he makes it clear that his main focus is on the God who sent him and the people to whom he'd been sent. So this idea of sharing yourself is the foundation of what it means to be a minister. Being a minister means sharing yourself. You can't separate the two. If you're going to be a minister, you're going to share of yourself. Now, we're going to hit pause on 1 thir- Thessalonians right there. We'll come back to it next week. Because now I want to ask the question, Who really are the ministers at Loamie Christian Church? And you might have an easy answer. You say, you and Ben. Yeah, that, that's it. And you might have all these reasons why that's your answer. You might say, it's because you have a business card that says minister on it. Ben has a business card that says minister on it. You have little signs next to your office doors, and they say minister on it. You guys are clearly the ministers of Loamy Christian Church. You might have another whole list of reasons why, that you might give to answer why we are the only two ministers at Loamy Christian Church. You might say, well, you guys are the ones that went to Bible college. You guys have the best working knowledge of the Bible. You guys, and you might even like think real lofty and real high of us, which don't, but you might think something to the effect of, oh, it's because you must be the most godly people here. I'll bet you and Ben spend hours every week face down smelling your carpet, lost in prayer. I just know that's got to be you. You're the most godly people here. That's why you're the ministers. Or maybe you would just say something simple like, well, you're the ones that do the thing that we don't want to do. You're talking in front of people, which is the number one scariest thing that people fear. So you can do it as long as I don't have to. Maybe that's your answer. But whatever it is, I just want to let you know that if you think Ben and I are the only ministers in this church, you're wrong. And all that list of things right there, that's not the only reason you're wrong, but those are all wrong. All those things I just said. One, Ben and I aren't the only ones in this church who went to Bible college. I know that Ben and I don't have the best working knowledge of the Bible, of people here. I know there are people in this church who pray more than us. And though, yes, I might have the the strongest gift when it comes to getting up in front of people and not being scared about it, but there's a lot of things in ministry that I just stink at, okay? And so who are the ministers, Well, in another letter written by Paul, he tells that the main job of people like myself is not just ministry, but something else. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It says, and he, talking about Jesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He's saying, here's some leadership roles that God gave these particular people to the church. Um, the apostles are the ones, like I said, they started the church from scratch. They Not just planting churches, but the whole church thing. They were the ones given that task. Prophets were people who, had, who felt that they had been spoken to directly by God and were given a message to take to other Christians. The evangelists were the ones who went then around and planted the churches after the apostles got it going. Shepherds were the people who would invest in the lives of people in the congregation, direct them, give them wisdom, and, and, and care for them when people were hurting and sick and struggling. And he says, and teachers, which is somebody doing what I'm doing now, standing up and preaching the, God's word. He says, we gave these leaders in the church To the church for a reason, and then he says it in verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, if you come from a Catholic background, you think saint, you hear saint, and you think holy dead person. You're like, okay, so he wants to equip the holy dead people for the work of ministry. But in the New Testament, that's not what the word saint means. The word saint means Christian. Somebody who's been saved and redeemed by Jesus. So you could say, to equip the Christians for the work of ministry. And so if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be doing the work of ministry. And you know what you call somebody who's supposed to do the work of ministry? A minister. So if you're a Christian... You are supposed to be a minister. You're supposed to see yourself as somebody who is doing or called to do the work of ministry. One of the biggest misconceptions in the modern church is that ministers have a job title of minister, and they do the ministry, and the rest of us are all just kind of on the receiving end of it. That is not at all the way Jesus set up his church to work. The ministers are supposed to be there to help raise up the church to do the ministry themselves. So if you're a Christian, you have a role to play in this church. But even when I say things like that, and I've preached messages like this before where I kind of try to convince you that you have a role here, most of us think too small. We start to think in terms of a to-do list. Okay, I've got a role here. Anthony, what you're going to get around to eventually is you're going to ask me to volunteer somewhere. So just tell me where I'm going to serve. Tell me what day it's on. Tell me what things I'm going to do so I can put it in the calendar and check it off my list when I'm done and move on. But that's not, yes, yes, that's not it. But yes, being a minister in the church, yes, it's going to mean serving and there's giving and all kinds of things you could look at when it comes to you being involved in what's happening here in church. But you can't, like I can't, put it off to this thing where it's a to-do list. You can't just say, you can't, it's not so clear cut as that where you can say, oh yeah, that ministry, that's what I do on Wednesday and then I move on. Because the heart of it is in sharing yourself. The heart of ministry is the relationships that exist in the church. And, you know, one of the places where this is really easy to see, let me explain it this way, and hopefully this will make kind of clear the the air for you a little bit, is when it comes to pastoral care. This idea of sharing your life with other people, sharing yourself with other people. Pastoral care is when there are people who are sick or hurting or going through some difficult circumstance, and you, maybe not even difficult circumstance, just something... Um, whether somebody needs some little help or some help would be appreciated, whatever, any of that, and, and you help them, you care for them, whether that's praying for them, whether it's providing for their needs, whether it's, you know, visiting them and just giving them companionship, whatever it is, pastoral care is meeting people in those difficult or, or needy moments, and I'll tell you, I stink at it. And some of you are like, yeah, you do. Because I was in the hospital, and I know you forgot to come see me. Like you, some of you know that I stink at it. It's not a secret that I stink at it. I'll tell you who's good at it, Ben. But he's leaving because he's good at it. And so he's going to go pursue some training so that he can give his whole life to that ministry endeavor. And then you're going to be stuck with me, and who's not good at it. But, but let me tell you something that I've observed over the years. You know who is good at it? So many of you are amazing at this. So many of you, I've seen so many just spontaneous acts of kindness, acts of generosity that weren't led by church leadership. That weren't elders saying, hey, you guys got to do this. It was just some of you, you saw the need, you saw the hurt, and you shared of your life with those people. You shared of your resources, your time, your heart, your care. You shared your prayers with them because you had a heart for that. That's what it means to share yourself. And one of the places I've seen this the most is in growth groups. It's not the only place I've seen it, but I think growth groups are kind of a natural place for that type of sharing yourself to have take place because you're in a group, you mostly know people's names. At most of our groups, we either start or end with praying for people. So we're sharing what our concerns are, what's going on in our lives. So I've seen this happen in groups. There was a cool one a few weeks ago I saw in, in uh, Bruce's group. Um, but I've experienced it in my own group. Um, every person, every family, excuse me, that is in my growth group, we meet on Wednesday nights. Every family except for one has had at least a, one baby since our group started. I mean, I, I was doing the math the other day, and it's like, finally now, um, kids outnumber adults in our, when our group gets together. And the sound level reflects that. It is chaos. Oh, man, the other night I was trying to pray to close this out. And Eleanor comes over and starts, like, screaming to climb in my lap which never happens. If Abby's in the room, she wants nothing to do with me, but the second I'm like, dear Jesus, to pray for our group, she's screaming at me, and she's in my lap, and then the iPad was on the table in front of me. I don't know how she did it. Two seconds, she's playing a show, and it's volumes on, and I'm like, dear, hold on, Jesus. I'm trying to turn it off, and finally, it was like the sixth time she like to put a whole total hold, a total hold on the prayer. And Michael Kennedy says, wrap it up, man. Give it up. Like It ain't going to happen. Like this isn't, It's not meant to be. Just let it go. And so our group has had a population explosion, and every time someone has a baby, meals just start showing up at that family's house. It's not through the church. It's not through a, a phone tree or anything. It's just the people in our group, the families in our group, say, hey, you got something going on. You've got a little new person in your house that's determined to keep you from sleeping, so here's some food. Um, there's a... At least one, maybe two or three huge garbage bags of maternity clothes that just now rotate between our houses. (laughs) Um, It's like, I'll see somebody come to me and I'm like, I remember that shirt. Like I think Abby wore that for a few times around. Like So it just rotates. Um, We've had times where we, as a group, have gone to funerals as people in our group lost family members. Uh, We pray together. We study the word together. We've helped each other move. Uh, We have... uh, um, told our stories of how we came to faith and we've all got a little bit in common or details and we can say, okay, how do you handle this situation? How do you handle that situation? When the Bible says this, it's really hard for me to understand how do I wrap my brain around this passage and we've just helped each other navigate faith and life and it's been a beautiful thing. We've shared ourselves with each other. Our group is better for it and I think our church becomes better for it as well and so Again, I don't think the only place this happens is in groups, but man, it is easy and more natural for it to take place in those groups. And so I've experienced that, and a lot of you have experienced that as well. Now, if you're not in a group, let me just go ahead and say, I really think you should get in a group. There's two adult groups that meet on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, and they're in the Fellowship Hall. One's on that side of the accordion wall. One's on that side. Um the again, kids are a factor on Sunday morning because they're loud. That door that's in the hallway that got put in to help minimize some of the kid noise. Not to take it away, because it's nice to hear that there's life in the church. But um, sometimes it's still nice to hear, you know, when, when kids are around. Um, and so those can meet, but if you th- if you think get up an hour early, Anthony, it's everything I can do to get here at ten. Didn't you see I walked in five minutes late already today, man? You're want me to come an hour early. Um, that's fine. Um, we have another growth group, mine, that meets on on Wednesday nights at six thirty p.m. Um, bring a hearing aid, um, or or. Or plugs, maybe that's maybe that's your thing too, that's fine. You're welcome to come, we eat together, um, we talk, we share life together a little bit. Um, if none of those work for you, let us know. We're open to starting more groups. Um, any week on your Connect card, there's a My Next Steps, you can check, get in a group. Uh, maybe you're interested in like being a part of leading a group. Uh, we'd love to know that, and you think, oh, I don't want to be a teacher. Um, most of the time, you don't have to teach if you don't want to teach. There's other ways to do the teaching part and where you would just facilitate a discussion and facilitate some of that pastoral care stuff that takes place in a group. And you can be a leader in the group without being a, a teacher because that might be a little bit overwhelming at times. Anytime. Write that on your Connect card. We would love to know that um, because groups are a beautiful place for that can happen. I think the more people we have in groups, the more we're going to see that kind of stuff take place. Um And when this stuff happens, when you begin sharing yourself, I'm just going to tell you, it kills that thing inside of you that is selfish, that says that my stuff is my stuff, back off. Because when you truly start to know people, and you truly start to understand them and love them, and you see a need in their life, it's much more easy for you just to say, I have to help. Of course I would help. Why wouldn't I Help. Why wouldn't I give of them? I've got more than I need. Yeah, I wanted it. Yeah, there's a part of me that wants to hang on to it. But the love side, once you love people and care about them, it overpowers that stinginess that naturally kind of exists in a lot of our hearts. And so you are called to be a minister. Maybe you don't want that title on yourself. I'll be honest with you. I didn't either. I tried to be a Christian counselor, and God said, Boy, you're really bad at that. You need to try something else. So uh, here I am. I'd say take two, but this was like take three on professions for me uh, to get to being a minister. And you don't want to be a minister, but I'm sorry, that's what we're called to be. Part of my job is to spread the ministry around to more people so that the gifts that God has placed within this church can flourish and thrive and people can be cared for. But it's more than a to-do list. It's more than a job description. It's going to involve you being willing to open your life up and share yourself with other people. And if that sounds too flowery, too relationshipy and whatever that is for you, I'm sorry, that's what the church was meant to be. Because if you're a Christian, you cannot deny that Jesus put you here to know people and to be known by them. He put you here to share yourself. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for relationships. We're grateful for this powerful connection, this powerful bond that you've placed between us in this faith that we have. You have called us here to not just be people who care about getting a lesson done or getting a, an event checked off the list or making sure we had volunteers in a certain place or there was enough greeters at the door donuts showed up on the right time, but you've actually called us to care about the people that are here. And when we take, you know, attendance on Sundays and we try to look at how many people are in the room, I pray that you would never let us forget that each number is a soul. Each, each, each person that walks in our door is going to spend eternity somewhere, that each person that walks in the door has a past and a, a present and a future That every person has a history and we've all got our own struggles. And I pray that you would help us to understand that one of the reasons the church is here is so that nobody has to walk through that stuff alone. And I thank you for the powerful, powerful nature of relationships as they can exist in the gospel community of the church. That we would not just care about coming and absorbing or getting something out of church, but we would come to be the church, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. That we would walk in this building every Sunday and think, How can I help people here? How can I bless people here? We would come thinking, how can I know people and find find out what's going on so that if somebody's suffering, I don't want anybody in this place to suffer. And if that can help them, I want to help them. So give us a heart for the people here. Give us a desire to share ourselves. Give us a willingness to share ourselves. Sometimes that stinginess, that that selfishness can be so strong, but I pray that you would draw us back again and again to the gospel of Jesus. That he came not to... to be served but to serve and that we would be people who don't just want life to cater to our every whim but we understand that our life is to be used to be redeemed for your good mission and that includes loving the people in this church family caring for the people in this church family sharing our lives with people in this church family just as you shared your life with your disciples as you walked with them day and night slept side by side worked side by side sweated side by side with those men and women that were in your group, and you trained, and you, you did amazing miracles, and they got front row seat to watch and even participate in some of that. As you shared in life, may we share in life. As you shared yourself with us, may we have a desire to share ourselves here in this place with these people. Thank you for that beautiful example in Jesus. May we follow in his footsteps. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.